Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, unwanted pets and relatives, greetings. It is I, your favorite obscure social studies teacher, Mr. Palumbo, and this is the Professor Liberty Podcast. How's everyone doing out there? I hope everyone has polished off their old bicycle. The way these gas prices are going, holy macaroni. Definitely doesn't feel like we're building back better, does it, folks? If you print money, it causes inflation. But who learned that? You certainly didn't learn it in school. If you'd like to email the show, the email is professorliberty1776 at gmail.com. Send me your questions, your comments, your concerns, your inquiries, whatever. Just send it to professorliberty1776 at gmail.com. And don't forget, if you like this podcast, please give me a five-star rating at Apple Podcasts. So today, we're going to dive into the Bill of Rights today, like I keep promising. But uh, I got a message last week from someone who said, you know, you should do a podcast on sanctions. You know, with what's going on in Ukraine and the unprovoked aggression from Russia, the West and other countries have band together, and uh, and they've sanctioned Russia. They've placed sanctions on Russia. So I thought, let's take a few minutes to explain sanctions, and then we'll move on to freedom of religion. As you know, like I said, most of Europe has instituted sanctions of Russia, or sanctions on Russia, rather, because of its unprovoked aggression, invasion into neighboring Ukraine. Well, some of you might say, well, what are sanctions? Sanctions are non-militaristic means to punish a country due to certain disapproved actions. Sanctions are mostly economic, and they're restrictions. When sanctions are placed on a country, they might have, uh, you know, they might lose the ability to access certain services and goods, access to bank loans, or sell their products internationally. An embargo is a kind of a sanction. However, embargoes usually apply to a single good. For example, the United States placed an embargo on Japan in the early 40s to show its displeasure with Japan's actions in Asia. Most scholars believe it was this oil embargo that led Japan to attack Pearl Harbor because it saw America as an adversary in the Pacific that needed to be dealt with. There was an oil embargo in the 1970s here in this country from the Middle East, which led to high gas prices and long lines at the pump. All of these are, in a sense, form of sanctions. Sanctions are intended to hurt or punish a country for, as I said earlier, actions that are deemed unjust or reprehensible. So this leads us to Russia. As of today, the United States and many other nations have put economic sanctions on many of Russia's banks, as well as certain private wealthy individuals. The Commerce Department in this country has laid sanctions on Russia's ability to, uh, to purchase technological goods in an attempt to restrict its ability to upgrade its military forces as the conflict continues. According to CBS News, Russia's central bank has been cut from 300 billion in funds 
that could have been used to pay the nation's bills or, as I said earlier, restock the military. A deputy national security advisor for the United States is quoted as saying, quote, almost immediately the ruble, which is Russia's currency, has turned into rubble, losing a third of its value. The Moscow Stock Exchange is shuttered. Russia, Russians line up at the ATM and clean out stores. Credit agencies warn that Russia is likely to default on foreign loans, something that hasn't happened since 1918 during the Bolshevik Revolution. That pressure mounts every day. Over the last few days, Australia has added 11 banks to its sanction list. Japan put another 15 Russian officials in its crosshairs. According to the Brookings Institute, more than 30 countries have leveled a total of 2,500 sanctions on Russian targets, including Vladimir Putin, unquote. Now, there are ways around sanctions, you know, for example, finding a friendly ally who won't who wouldn't mind trading with you despite the other countries, you know, blocking you out of the system, blocking you out of the markets. And Russia is trying to ask China for assistance. We'll see what happens there. But even if China did decide to help, it's unlikely they'd be able to make up for all of the other sanctions being levied against the Russian economy. So do sanctions work? Well, the current ones in Russia seem to be. Some experts are even worried that they might work too well. Well, why is that a bad thing? Well, if you cripple and isolate a belligerent nation, that nation might get more desperate and feel like they have nothing else to lose. Hopefully, cooler heads will prevail and we won't see anything like that. Okay, so on to the First Amendment and the freedom of religion. So as I'll do with each episode in this series, I will read the entire amendment being discussed. So here is the First Amendment to the Bill of Rights. It says, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or of the right of the people to peacefully assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. As you can see, there's a lot of stuff to uh, unpack there. There's a lot of stuff uh, put into the First Amendment. We often think of the First Amendment as freedom of speech, but in fact, there are at least five different rights delineated and in this amendment. And we're going to talk about each one in due time. But today we're going to start with the first one, the freedom of religion. Boy, I tell you, preparing for this podcast has been a challenge because where do you start? Where do you start discussing something so fundamental, uh, especially to Western civilization, as the freedom of religion? Uh, Mr. Plumbo, uh, we, Mr. Plumbo, can, I, uh, can, can, can this wait? No, Mr. Plumbo, i got to say something, please. Uh, what? Uh, religion's not that fundamental, Mr. Palumbo. Uh, nobody really goes to church anymore. And, you know, there's a thing about the, the flying spaghetti monster god, you know, that you, I, I saw this something on YouTube. Uh, and, and, you know, Jesus is a myth. And, and uh, okay, was there a question in there? Oh, no more questions. Put your hand down. Put, put it down. I realize, you know, in today's postmodern world, religion is treated as trivial, 
Uh, you know, in our nihilistic world, we have freed ourselves from religion. But people living through the Reformation, the Renaissance, the Enlightenment in uh, Europe, to those people, religion was front and center in their daily lives. Religion was central in, in the life of this country, at least until the turn of the 20th century. Religion has been, and in some cases still is, a matter of life and death, literally. And after many years of religious conflict, especially if you think of Great Britain, where, you know, after Henry VIII, you know, a monarch would be Protestant, and then all the Catholics would get persecuted, and then the monarch would be Catholic, and then all the Protestants would get persecuted. The framers of the Constitution wanted to ensure that people, regardless of their faith, and yes, lack of of faith thereof, would not be persecuted by the state. And this is a very crucial point that I want to drive home if you get anything out of the podcast, right? The state, and especially in this country, the federal government is not, does not have the power to establish a religion and prohibit the exercise thereof. Because what I'm going to show you is uh, the government indeed establishes religion. They just don't call it that. And they're prohibiting the practice thereof all over the place. One writer puts it this way, quote, the freedom of religion is at the heart of the American understanding of liberty. Under our constitutional order, the free exercise of religion is not a mere matter of toleration, but it's an inalienable right. There are, of course, some limits to the free exercise of religion. Citizens cannot invoke the First Amendment to break general laws. But within the confines of the law, all citizens have, and this is important, the same right of conscience, unquote. You know, it's funny. Anytime I hear freedom of conscience or right of conscience, I almost always think of Martin Luther. I mean, it just always... It just comes with the territory like peanut butter and jelly for me. If you know the story about the great reformer Martin Luther, he was at the Diet of Worms. That's not eating worms. A diet is a meeting. And Worms is in Germany. Anyway, in 1521, he was brought before the great leaders of the Catholic Church. And he was brought before the German emperor, who was Catholic. And he had to account for his religious writings which they thought went against Catholic teaching. When he was pressured to recant or renounce his beliefs, he's quoted as saying, my conscience is held captive to the word of God, and to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. What's Luther saying here? I believe he's saying that what we think we are. We are what we think. We value what we value. We believe what we believe. And to be coerced or to be forced to go against those values and those beliefs are wrong. Our thoughts make us who we are. It's what makes us individuals. And if we allow the state to force people to speak and to think a certain way, that's tyranny. Now, again, we can go so many directions. I'm really trying to give you a, 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 a scratch kind of uh, survey. But, you know, the fact of the matter is religion and the state have always been at odds. And why is that? 
Well, it's because the state would prefer you to conform to what they want. You know, the state would prefer you to worship them. The state would prefer you to tithe to them, to see them as the provider. And if you believe in a God outside the control of the state, well, that's competition. In most monotheistic religions, there's a deity that demands allegiance. Among This is among re- the many reasons why communism is atheistic. Communism is complete state control of society. You can't have state control of all aspects of society if there's another deity out there. No, the state is the deity. The state is the provider. The state is the creator. And you have to bow down and worship the state. Obviously, this ideology leaves no room for the belief in other gods. Now, I don't want to get too far in the theological weeds here, but this is why Judaism and later Christianity that came out of it, uh, they've had a tradition of being a thorn in the side of world governments all the way back to Rome. Under Judaism and Christianity, one must obey God first and foremost. And if any uh, law from the government goes contrary to what God commands, the followers have to resist that. Now, Islam is a tad different because Islam, under Islam, you're supposed to uh, establish uh, Allah's government here on earth. So Islam is very theocratic. Uh, but, you know, Judaism and Christianity, you're more seen as a as a pilgrim here on earth. There is a godly kingdom and there is an earthly kingdom. And obviously those kingdoms are going to conflict. So with the protection of religious freedom, obviously it has two components. First, under the constitution, the federal government cannot establish a religion. The federal government cannot choose or sanction, see what I did there, a certain religion or a certain religious sect. And second, it forbids the feds from restricting people from practicing their religion. Now, notice it says nothing about states. States are allowed to do whatever they want. And up until the early 1960s, some states even had religious tests still on the books as a requirement for holding public office. Well, I think we've done a pretty good job with the first component. More or less, I think the feds stay out of picking uh, picking a religion, though this country has mostly been Christian, mostly been Protestant. Uh, as we become more secular and atheistic, you're seeing a little more change in society and, and beliefs. Uh, but we've definitely uh, allowed them to tread on the second component. Shall not prohibit the free exercise thereof is being completely ignored today. I mean... You can't go to a high school football game and pray because the high school football game is a, quote, public school. Well, uh, Mr. Plumbo, excuse me, uh, Mr. Plumbo, uh, I got my hand up, Mr. Plumbo. Yeah, what is it? Well, you can't pray at the football game because it's publicly funded, which means the government gives money to that place. And if you pray to an unknown make-believe God, hold on. Uh, I gotta turn off my Fortnite. My my uh, my God, your God. Uh, I don't have one. Uh, uh, that's government advocating religion, and we have separation of church and state. 
church and state. Did you know that the popular phrase separation of church and state is found nowhere in the Constitution? That phrase comes from a letter written by then-President Thomas Jefferson. He wrote to a Baptist convention in 1802 where he said he was not going to push. The federal government had no role in sanctioning or advocating for any religious group. And he promised that the government would not bother the Baptists. But today, that phrase is used to justify, as I noted earlier, restriction of almost all religious practice. Well, Christian religious practice, anyway. Today, in many cases, if public money or public property is being used, any prayer or signs of religious practice are prohibited. However, if you want to display a rainbow flag, or if you want to protest global warming, I mean climate change, or if you want to talk about critical race theory, all of those are, have, have components of religious or religiosity in them. They are, in some ways, religious cults. The government not only uh, lets it happen, but they fund those things. And so we have the government uh, prohibiting some political speech and then advocating for others. The fact of the matter is Jefferson's metaphor of a wall was supposed to keep the government out of religion and in some ways keep the church out of politics, but it was never meant to prevent religious practice of people in government. But this wall of separation has even a darker past. Writer Joe Mariani, in his article, Separation of Church and State, The Establishment Cause and Muddled Thinking, he writes, quote, Supreme Court Justice Hugo Black first enshrined the phrase separation of church and state into law in Everson versus the Board of Education in 1947. Black, who had been an anti-Catholic KKK member and a Democratic senator, was worried that the Catholic Church might attempt a coup in America through Catholic school indoctrination. In Everson versus the Board of Education, Justice Black decided it was unconstitutional for New, for New Jersey residents to pay taxes to support and maintain schools which are dedicated to and regularly teach the Catholic faith. In the opinion of the decision, Justice Black wrote, the establishment of religion clause of the First Amendment means that at least this, neither a state nor a federal government can set up a church. This is partly correct. The First Amendment refers to only the federal government. Black went on, however, to claim that it meant neither state nor federal government was allowed to do anything whatsoever with promoting of religion, unquote. You've probably heard the saying that politics makes strange bedfellows. Well, it seems the two prominent groups that supported the wall between church and state were secularists and the KKK. And we have to be honest, some Protestant groups who were anti-Catholic. A Catholic writer named Joseph DeFeo puts it this way, Other groups that supported separation were secularists. They and other non-Christians wished to eliminate the Protestant interpretation of the First Amendment and instead sever government connections to all religion whatsoever. With their help, separation ultimately grew from a restraint placed 
only on government to a restraint applied uh, discriminately to a few churches to a restraint placed on all churches. By the time this evolution occurred, it was too late for the Protestants who opened the door to do anything about it, unquote. So Klansman Hugo Black, appointed by FDR, in his disdain for Catholics, twisted the words of the First Amendment because he didn't want public money going to Catholic school. Secularists, you know, these are people who don't believe in God or they don't want religion in the public sphere, have used Black's interpretation of separation of church and state ever since. And it's only gotten worse, and it's only gone, it's only, these, the tentacles of this twisting of the Constitution has reached all areas of our society. Mr. Mariani continues, he says, Liberals have been using the mystical wall of church and state to attack mainstream religion, especially in its various Christian incarnations. For over 50 years, Liberals have claimed that it's unconstitutional to mention God in the Pledge of Allegiance. Art with positive religious themes have been banned from a public library, while art that is denigrating Christianity, those are celebrated. We've been told that it's unconstitutional to celebrate Christmas on public lands or singing Christmas carols. But if you want to say Happy Hanukkah, that's fine. You can't put up nativity scenes at public schools although menorahs are still welcome. And even wishing each other Merry Christmas is frowned upon, unquote. And the thing that always gets me, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, is, you know, like the Ten Commandments at the courthouse or a cross at a cemetery that's on public land. When those people put that up, uh, we still had the Constitution and nobody seemed to... Nobody seemed to worry about this, this, this impenetrable wall of church and state. But all of a sudden, now it's a thing. How come it wasn't a thing 50 years ago? The, how, what, what has changed? We have changed. And now, at school, we don't say the Pledge of Allegiance anymore for many reasons. One of them is because God's in it, but another one is we're trying to get rid of patriotism because this nation is uh, you know inherently corrupt. Your child at public school might not be learning about the Ten Commandments, might not be learning about the Golden Rule, because that is religion. But they're learning about LGBTQXYZ. They're learning about what gender are you. They're learning about Marxism and all of those components. They're learning about destroying Mother Earth. And all of these things have religious components to them. So you can see the indoctrination has now changed. We're simply replacing Judeo-Christian religion with secular Marxist, uh, you know, tradition. And, you know, they want your children to worship the state, which is very communist. Let me end with this, ladies and gentlemen. You know, last year in Virginia, where they were talking about parental rights in school and do parents have a right if they want their kid to wear a mask or not wear a mask? And you saw all this uprising from within the school. And you saw the uh, Virginia governor at the time, which probably the reason why he lost is because he said, educators know what to do with the children. The parents don't know what to do with the children. Well, go research this. Here's your homework. 
one of the one of the tenets to communism is that the children do not belong to the parents. The children belong to the state. So maybe today you don't believe in anything. Maybe you don't believe in anything. Maybe you're agnostic. You don't know. Or maybe you're a Christian and you believe. It's important for us, if we want to maintain a free country, to maintain the freedom of religion. If someone wants to pray, let them pray. If the God is fake, why are you so offended? You know, there's a quote out there. I think it's from uh, Spurgeon. I can't remember. But it said, nothing proves the existence of God more than the atheist's hatred of him. If God is fake, don't worry about it. But I think we need to come back to this religious tolerance. Let people pray. If they want to pray for you, say, okay, that's great. Thank you. But your kids are going to believe in something. Let me talk to the parents. Your kids are going to believe in something. If you don't give them a belief system, the state's going to give them a belief system. And that state belief system is going to be a religion where the state is God. And that's something to think about while they're watching TikTok videos and going to school. Here at Professor Liberty, we seek to educate, inspire, and restore. If you like this podcast, please give me a five-star rating at Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to email the show, the email is professorliberty1776 at gmail.com. Please send me all your questions, ideas, thoughts there. Also check out our Facebook page. And if you'd like to help me out financially, go to teacherspayteachers.com and check out the worksheets, assignments, and activities for homeschool kids or teachers that agree with what I'm trying to do here. Check that out and you can help me out financially. Until next time, go throughout the land and proclaim liberty. Liberty.